0: Good morning and welcome to Sunday service at Ananda's Expanding Light Temple. My name is Latika, and I'm very happy to be sharing offering Sunday service with you this morning with Naya Swami Nittai. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light. These are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. This week is entitled The Infinite Christ. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John contains some of the most profound spiritual teachings in the Bible. In the first chapter, many subtle truths are suggested concerning higher stages of self-realization. Here, John the Baptist is described as one reaching up toward that high state. He was not that light, the gospel tells us, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Jesus Christ, by contrast, is described as the light itself. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. One essential truth stands out in this teaching, that Jesus came not to dogma dogmatize people with a new teaching, but to bring this timeless, universal truths. Disciples saw the Master clothed in human form and therefore judged him in terms of his greatness relative to the greatness of other teachers. Wisdom, however, sees the Master's very greatness in terms of a cosmic unity. There is a passage in The Path by Swami Kriyananda in which this point is emphasized, the master, Parmhansa Yogananda, explained, The saint who attains that exalted consciousness never says, I am God, for he sees it was the vast ocean that became his little wave of ego. The wave, in other words, could not claim, when referring to the little self, to be the ocean. At this juncture, Debbie, who was ple- present, cried excitedly, But sir, if you are one with the ocean, that means you are God! Why, I, Master asked, say he, he is God. But still, sir, you are one with him, and he is the only reality. That means you, too, are God. But this body isn't God. You aren't identified with your body, sir, so no one may still say that you are God. I'm sorry, sir, so one may still say that you are God. Well, in that case, why do you say you? You, too, are that. In a discussion of this sort, it is less confusing if we say he. But what's the difference? The scriptures say, Master began. It's only your humility, sir, Davy broke in, that makes you distinguish be- between yourself and him. How can there be humility when there is no consciousness of ego? Triumphantly, Davy cried. But if you have no ego left, that means you are God. Master laughingly continued the earlier statement which Debbie had interrupted. "The scriptures say, "He who knows Brahma becomes Brahma." There," cried Debbie, "You said it yourself." <laughs> Master rejoined, still laughingly, "I didn't say it. It's the scriptures that say so." Master, in other words, would n- in other words, would not identify those words with the human body speaking them. It was in his overarching spirit that he saw himself one with the infinite. But Debbie was unable to make this mental leap from a pure expression of infinity to infinity itself. You quoted those scriptures, sir, he reminded Master relentlessly. That means you agree with them. Recognizing that the distinction was perhaps too subtle for many to grasp, Master concluded, Well... He who says he is God isn't God. And, he added with a smile, He who says he isn't, isn't. (laughs) And there the subject rested amid general laughter. The greater a spiritual teaching, the more greatly we betray it by particularizing it with dogmas. Truth itself, not the Christian truth or the Hindu truth, incarnates on earth with the birth of a fully liberated master. As the Bhagavad Gita teaches in the fourth chapter, unborn, changeless, lord of creation and controller of my cosmic nature though I am, yet entering nature I am dressed in the cosmic garment of my own maya, delusion. O Bharata, wherever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and to re establish virtue. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh.
1: morning from the whispers is a poetization of one of my favorite stories make me a lion of thy all conquering wisdom I a lion cub of the divine mother found myself thrown into life among the sheep of human frailties of fear failure and disease living long among them I learned to bleat with weakness forgetting my lion nature and its roars which could frighten away all petty pestering sorrows O lion of realization, thou didst drag me away from those bleeding sheep to the mere smooth waters of meditation. There didst thou cry, gaze, but I held my eyes tightly shut, bleeding with fear. Thy roar of wisdom then reverberated through my body. Thou madest me by hard shaking and spiritual urging. open my eyes, and there, lo, in the crystal pool of my inner peace, I saw my features to be even as thine own. Now I know myself as the lion of cosmic power. I will bleat no more with fear, weakness, and suffering, for I roar now with vibrant, almighty power. I bound bound about through the forest of all experiences, seizing little creatures of vexing worries, timid fears, and wild hyenas of disbelief, devouring them ruthlessly. O lion of immortality, roar through me thine all-conquering power of wisdom. <clears throat> that's one case where you don't have to be a vegetarian <laughs> so the topic this morning is uh the infinite christ um it's uh, one of the usual mind-boggling topics for sunday service <clears throat> and next week we're going to uh the minister will be talking about the uh uh, the guru the avatar so this week i thought it might be helpful to try to create a bridge uh, in the reading we saw the conversation between uh the disciple debbie and master master trying to explain to him what this concept po- might possibly mean and debbie having a very difficult time <laughs> understanding it um which is true for all of us um it's it's a concept that is uh, is mind boggling in the purest sense of the word um, when we come uh, to greet this amazing teaching that comes from the East <clears throat> the Western mind is not prepared for it um, we those two cultures uh, have evolved very very differently, and in this particular case it really comes to a sharp focus because we we don't really have a place in our in our lexicon for these kinds of terms of cosmic consciousness and uh, infinite Christ. They kind of go beyond the pale of what we've been trained. Because, of course, in the West, uh, especially since the scientific revolution came into play, the intellect is king. (laughs) The intellect is um, the top of the pyramid. You can't go any higher than that. Um, The religious traditions that we did have uh, kind of been kind of shunted aside because they kind of got lost in dogmatism and narrow-mindedness. And so everybody started to think, well, the spiritual path is kind of, you know, second class, and the intellect is where we really will find truth. And of course, when you're comparing it to dogmatism and narrow-mindedness, it is a step, a huge step forward. Um, right now, I, for those of you, I, I work with the college as part of the way I serve in the, in the community. And it's really interesting right now. We're at a very, very... Uh, Key point in the development of the college because we're getting ready to apply for accreditation. The um, <clears throat> in the, 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 the kind of the uh, subtitle, I guess, or the tagline for the college that uh, Nishal came up with very at the very beginning through an inspiration was "higher education for higher consciousness," and it basically. Um, posits the fact that there is something beyond the intellect, that there's higher consciousness, something that goes beyond the intellect. Um, In the Western tradition, that's kind of a... uh, What's the word? It's heresy. (laughs) Because if you went to the kind of colleges that I went to, uh, they're like temples of the intellect. They put the intellect up on an altar and they kind of bow to it and worship it and uh, hope that it gives gives them what they want. The problem is that it doesn't, uh, at least if you're seeking ultimate truth, you bang up against this, uh, this ceiling uh, with, by looking at it. So we have to look for the East for ways to understand it. And one of the things that comes down to us is some terminology that it's very hard to translate, but it's uh, important to try to, to try to grasp. The four terms are "moan, ahankara, um, let see booty, "moan, booty, ahankara," and chitta. There are four stages of the soul's evolution, uh, de-evolution, I guess you should say, into, into Maya that uh, is fairly well known in the, in the East. It comes into the uh, play of uh, this, this path because when Master was a young man, about 18 years old, and he was, see, no, I guess he's a little bit older than that. He must have been 20, a little over 20. But he had started his school in India. And it was a had a vibrancy that only uh, an avatar could put into it, and he was ready to expand it. It started out in a very, very small little uh, place, and so he went to uh, the Maharaja, local Maharaja, <coughs> who uh, was in control of a lot of the resources in that region, and he applied for to have a building to to uh, have his school in. Well, the Maharaja had a uh, summer palace that um, most of you, almost all of you, read about. But before he was willing to uh, offer it, he put uh, this young man through a test. And the test was, uh, what are these four terms? Not, not only what, what do they mean, but where are they located in the body? And so it's a kind of a conversation that would never have happened in the West, right? <laughs> no matter who you were. If you were to, uh, Abraham Lincoln going up <laughs> to ask something, nobody would ask you this kind of question. So, but Master had it, and he uh, dealt with it successfully. And... Um, we got the summer home in Ranchi for the for the school and it, you know, it started to take off from there. But for us, uh, this morning, what it can do is it can help bridge this, uh, this chasm. It says that the soul, <clears throat> the soul as infinite Christ consciousness, oneness of all uh, creation, descends gradually into a state of limitation. And the first state, this tile, moan, which is simply um, mind, and master just says it's it's like looking at a looking out through the senses, but not differentiating anything, just awareness, just awareness, but just seeing it only as a, a sense of one. And from that state, the next step down is the buddhi, and buddhi is the intellect. <clears throat> And so it's still pretty, it's pretty high up. It's only the first state down. And the intellect, it looks around and it starts to label things. It starts to measure. measure. So that's a horse. And that's a cow. That's a person. And this starts to break things up. Um, the next step down is ahankara, which uh, translates as ego. And that's where you start to say, that's my horse. And that's her cow. And that's uh, all these different... You know, Now we've got not only... Separation, we got ownership of separation. And then the final step, chitta, which is what her master says we really get lost in delusion, is when we start to have likes and dislikes about these differentiations. I like my horse, I don't like her cow. <laughs> and we get caught. We get caught, and um, we can mess around with that level for a long time. Um, you start training. Well, maybe I do like her cow, and maybe I don't like my horse. <laughs> and you just start playing these games with it. Um, <clears throat> so the 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 challenge is to work our way back up through through these stages, and the intellect can be a really good tool for a a large part of the journey. Because the intellect can look there and it can say, uh, well, it really doesn't make any difference if you like your horse or not, if you don't like her cow. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, There's more to life than just all these little petty things. Let's, let's go on beyond that. Let's look for principles. Let's look for the principle of what does a cow really like or what does a horse really like and how are cows different than horses. And we can do all that without having to go get into whether I like the cow or not. Um, but, of course, that... Um, that, that next stage up, which is basically, well, you're still caught. The next stage, we're still caught up with the ego, which, which is whether whether it's my horse or it's her cow, not regardless of whether I like it or not. But it's taking it to that step, and you realize at some point you start to realize, even with the intellect, that you know. It's really only your cow for a while. <laughs> um, you're going to die, and the cow is going to go on. And maybe if it outlives you, it might, somebody else might own it, or maybe that cow might die, and you might get another cow or a dog that you like even better. <laughs> <laughs> and you just get this whole sense of, you know, the ownership thing really doesn't make that much difference either. Um, you know, your cars. Cars are great ones. You know, I, my car, <laughs> and it's brand new, and I really like it a lot, and it's really shiny and you know, after a couple of years, well, yeah, that that car over there looks better, and my car is getting a little dirty and dented, and uh, I don't really like my car anymore because <laughs> it has high repair bills, <laughs> and so you go through this whole cycle, you know, a few thousand times, and you start thinking, yeah, oh, it really doesn't make any difference. Let's go to another level. So then you go up, you go up to this level of ego, and um, excuse me, go up to intellect, and there, there you, there, that's you know, there you are at this this state that Western uh, approach says is the highest and you can analyze things you can discriminate you can uh, know all about the ins and outs of how things you can keep creating new ins and outs you know how the universe works the universe is gigantic it's like a gigantic uh, uh, one of those the jigsaw puzzle that you know at christmas time sometimes people give you jigsaw puzzles and you sit around trying to put them together and the universe is like that it's just an incredibly Subtle and uh, huge jigsaw puzzle. That there's all kinds of things to learn. If you compare what people knew 200 years ago to what people know now, it's we've in- huge, huge intellectual advancements. And if we project 200 years in the future, it'll be 200 more years of intellectual advancements, and it keeps on going. We'll find out more and more subtle things about how matter works. <clears throat> Problem is that because if we were, if we were an intellect, if that was the essence of our being, we might be really satisfied at that level. You might say, yes, <laughs> that's the best, <laughs> that's what life's all about. <clears throat> the problem is that we're not that. The problem is that we are subtler than that. We're a, we are a soul. And, we're, and at some point, we find that that intellectual level simply doesn't satisfy what we really want from life. The problem is how to go farther than that. From a Western perspective, I think it's easier from the East. But from a Western perspective, you you just it's like, where do I go from here? I've analyzed my life as well as I possibly can. I've looked at all the literature, and I've studied all these different things, and I know all this stuff, but I still don't feel full. I still don't feel complete. <clears throat> and that's where, that's where the East comes in and what Master brings to us. Because that next step, in order to go beyond the next step, you have to go beyond the intellect. So to get back to the college scene, <laughs> here we are trying to describe a college where the intellect has a very important place, but it's not the final step. And you're trying to explain to people, uh, accrediting boards or other colleges or whatever, uh, prospective students maybe, that uh, the intellect is simply a, a, a part of the college. So we were trying to make up uh, you know, learning objectives, the kinds of things you do when you're in an accreditation process. And uh, we realized, well, we got a lot of them. You know, we, intellect is one of them. We, we really want to develop the intellect. It's the time of life when it comes to the four in the college years. But there's also there's things like the will, and there's things like the feelings, there's things like the body. There's a whole idea of aspiration for higher consciousness, there's intuition. There's all these different aspects that we want to develop as a college and to put it out there as a definition of who we are. Whether will anybody will be able to appreciate that and uh, give the you know okay the stamp of approval it's a test for our civilization to see to see if they're at that point yet <laughs> but um, it is an interesting step because it's like it's it, uh it's, i think it is really actually in, important for the whole culture to start to define college as something more than the intellect, and we're right at that cutting edge of trying to make that make that happen so how do we go beyond the intellect? How do we uh, get to this point where we're reclaiming that moan level? Of, uh, sometimes they say manas, that sense of consciousness. Well, if you can't do it through the intellect, you have to find another tool. And of course, that's where we have to look to the wisdom of the East, and the way that it comes to us is through uh, through Master um, and this whole tradition. He talks enormously about attunement. Attunement and devotion, um, which are not intellectual tools. Uh, intellect can't really understand devotion. It can't really understand attunement because they're higher, higher uh, skills. So we have to work at it. And again, kind of work at it from a Western perspective is kind of challenging. It's like, uh, how, what, what is devotion? You know, What is attunement? And so we are given tools. We're given tools like meditation uh, to work with. And I remember very strongly um, it was just after I finished college and was or at least the bachelor' degree level of it, very dissatisfied and not very confused, because I'd just done what everybody said I was, you should do <laughs> find, the, find the best college you can go to and try to do your best, and that'll be, that'll, then you'll have your goal. And I just had done that, and I didn't have it. <laughs> and I was uh, very uh, oh, just disappointed at that point with life. And, of course, at that point, uh, that disappointment turned into a strange kind of prayer <laughs> because I didn't believe in God at that point. But just a kind of a cry of desperation, I guess, which I think, fortunately, it also was listened to in the cosmos. And um, the whole idea of meditation came, uh, that, uh, that this is another way of using your being, your mind. And um, and just with God's grace, just very shortly, just from the first or second meditations I tried, I felt, I felt something. And I, it wasn't intellectual. It wasn't anything I'd experienced before, but I knew it was what I was looking for because there was a completeness. There was a completeness that I'd never been able to touch with anything else in my life. At that point, I said, this is it. <laughs> let's go for it. Let's, go, let's, let's make this the, uh, the focus. Let's just kind of take this and see where it goes. And of course, where it went is here to Ananda and to be, get to be with Swami and all of my gurubhas and things. It's been a powerful uh, turning point in my life. But it introduced me to the whole idea of vibration, um, and by vibration, I started to understand what attunement meant. You know Attunement meant that you live in a certain kind of uh, experience of connectedness, where you feel that like you feel yourself connected to something bigger than yourself, and you start to know that some of the time I feel part of that, and some of the time I lose track of that, and I get off and I get stuck in my ego and I'm off and I'm you know feeling. Tense and alone and vulnerable, and all these different things that come into us when we're at those lower states of consciousness. And through that attunement, through that attunement of experience, that's that's where I started to finally understand devotion. Um, That devotion is just that yearning, that yearning to want to be in that state more and more and more, and to just, just completely merge yourself in that state. And that's that is those are the stepping stones to move from the intellect up, back up to to moan, to moan, from uh, buddhi, in the Sanskrit words back up to moan. And we see we see that it's transmitted, it's transmitted through a, a lot of the time it's through other people. You get it you can get it from different different sources. Uh, your own soul is um, has a particular frequency and different. Directions will harmonize with that, and you find the, you find the ones that are most in, most in tune with you. At that point in my life, I was the, the literature I was reading was mostly around Ramakrishna, and I did feel strongly attuned to that. And um, I don't understand how all the frequencies work, but I know through no fault of mine I ended up with Yogananda. It was <laughs> just like Divine Mother said, "Nope, almost over here." <laughs> and um, I think it was because the way the Ramakrishna tradition had come to me, if I under- tried to understand it, it had come to me through the intellect because I was drawn, there were some fabulously developed intellects that were drawn to that path that explained things, but I already had as much intellect as I needed <laughs> and I needed the devotion, and so I needed to sh- tune in more with Yogananda's uh, way of uh, sharing truth. <clears throat> so, you, you see that this, you know, you, you get this sense of resonance with you, and I just had another, I had a, Powerful experience um, over Christmas break with us that was you know, personal because <clears throat> you know I'm not at the point yet where I can stay in that state all the time and I you know will get in that state and uh, can can feel that blessing for more and more of my time but sometimes you lose track so I lost track somewhere over break, over Christmas break I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly sure how it happened <clears throat> my, it's a little. Being a teacher uh, has its own momentum. You you work at such a high level of energy when you're with the students, and then all of a sudden they're not there, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> your whole life just kind of has this whole adjustment to do, but somewhere in that process, I kind of lost it, and I was, where is it? Where is that attunement? Where is that? What was that? What was it? You know, and you can't think your way back to it. <laughs> I can guarantee you. Um, and uh, so it was so, oh just at the end of the break, so just after New Year's, and uh, I was just having a hard time because I just was very uh, unsatisfied at that point with my life. And uh, I was awake. I was awake about three in the morning and couldn't go to sleep because of the upset. I said, okay, what am I going to (laughs) do? I can't meditate. I tried to meditate, couldn't meditate. I tried chanting, couldn't chant. All these different things were blocked. I thought, okay. And it's kind of, all right, Divine Mother, any ideas? (laughs) And I had the idea, oh, you know, you've been wanting to watch... I'd wanted to watch this uh, satsang of uh, Swami's. He had done a satsang in, uh, I think it was either Pune or Gorgon, I'm not sure. And uh, I hadn't, chatted, it was his Christmas satsang. I hadn't had a chance to see it. So three o'clock in the morning, I'm there at my, go up to my desk, and I turn on the computer and download the the talk. And it was amazing because the moment the video came on, my attunement was back. <laughs> it was just like it had never gone. It was just there. It was It was from, Dark to light in one microsecond, and it stayed not only through the whole talk, but it's just it's been back since then. It's been you know with minor ups and downs, but the the basic attunement was back. And I was thinking, oh, what an incredible blessing! What an incredible blessing to have those kind of instruments around us and uh, to be able to draw on that. Um, it's it's just uh, it's just God looking for ways to reach out to us and whatever way. We happen to be open to it at the moment, <laughs> trying to get through to us. Um, so it's working with that. It becomes really clear that that is that is the goal of life. That is the goal of all these different things we go to. When we did the uh, uh, fire ceremony before service, it was just so clear to me that, that that fire ceremony has so much power to it. Because it, why why does why does something last a long time? Why has this fire ceremony been around for you know multi thousands of years? Things only stay if they resonate with some deep truth in our our lives. And the whole idea that what is life for? It's it's for purification. It's for to get rid of all these lower levels of consciousness and to move up that ladder and not get stuck. Not get stuck at one level uh, any longer than we can help. So if we understand that, if we understand that that's what this whole incarnation is about. That's why the experiences that come to us happen. That's why the physical Things come up. That's why the relationship things come up. That's why the financial things come up. They're all there as stepping stones to ne- take the next step forward. I, had, I saw this thing in the news, Grass Valley newspaper yesterday. There's a young woman. Well, she's she's in her 40s now, but she was a she's a dancer who uh, danced with my daughter a lot when my when my daughter was in this area, and she just had a terrible fall. She was, perhaps um, uh, she's an aerial ballerina, I guess you'd say, and she fell. She fell. She landed on her head. <laughs> And uh, is paralyzed now from the waist down, and uh, it's just you know it's like whoa what, that what a for somebody who's so committed to expressing creativity and her higher self through dance all of a sudden poof from one second to next next that's gone, and I just was this was you know praying for her because that's something like that's so devastating and so that she can have the blessing. To see, to see past it, to see past the tragedy, and to see that no, God's just calling her to another step, another step of her life, and to be able to to take that step. I don't know her personally. I just seen her a few times when I was in town. But I, um, we can pray for all everyone we meet that way because we're constantly, you know, we're constantly seeing people coming up with different traumas ourselves. <laughs> some of the time, are certain we have our share, and uh, it's just. Always the prayer is, can we take it? Can we take it as an opportunity for growth? Can we take it as a way to move up this ladder of evolution and to take the next step?